When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In my experience, when one is tired, one tends to see differently than when one is awake. For example, children see things in the dark which are not there. The first time I saw something, I assumed it was simply a product of my overtired brain. I dismissed it and thought nothing more of it. Let me elaborate briefly. Set the stage, if you will. I've been driving to work taking my normal route. It is my practice to wait until I get to the office to have coffee because, truthfully, I'm cheap and I don't like to buy it if I don't absolutely have to. Say what you will, it was still dark outside but the sky was beginning to lighten. I've driven the same way to work every single day for many years. I would probably be able to drive there blindfolded. What I'm saying is, I don't have to be fully awake to safely operate my car. It virtually steers itself. Even with my sleep-addled, caffeine-depraved brain, I'm able to look around me a bit as I drive, to take in my surroundings, sometimes catch a particularly beautiful sunrise. The drive, both morning and afternoon, has become my me-time, and once I'm home, I have other responsibilities to attend to, and definitely do not take the time to stop and smell the roses. Alright, you got the picture. So about three months ago I was driving to work as usual, simultaneously paying attention to the road and looking around me. I had already seen a rabbit, two deer, a bag of trash someone had tossed from their car, the pink, orange, and yellow glow of the sun beginning to crest over the green treed hills. Aside from the trash, it was a glorious morning, and though I was looking forward to that jolt to caffeine when I arrived, I was happy. At one point in my drive, I passed by several warehouses on the left-hand side. They're old, somewhat run down, but still, from what I can tell anyway seem structurally sound. The biggest one is abandoned, painted a sun-bleached beige, the metal sheeting showing through the dark and rusted where the paint has flaked away. There's a normal man-sized door in the side of the building at ground level, right next to a huge hydraulic lift garage-style door and a concrete truck bay. The man door is also painted, faded, and flaking. I've seen it hundreds of times and have never paid it that much attention. As it is with things one has seen a hundred times, that thing tends to fade into the background, to become unseen, almost invisible. So I had not really paid any attention to that warehouse in a long while. Therefore, the first day I saw it, I thought it was just a trick of my eyes. Movement by the Mandor. 
Just a quick glance, nothing I could catch or identify as my car passed by, but movement nonetheless. I processed it the same way I processed most things on my drive to work. Hmm. And then I was past it, focused on other things. Several days later, I saw it again. I'd forgotten about it altogether, actually, so when I caught the glimpse of movement out of the corner of my eye, I thought, that's twice I've seen the same thing. I wonder if someone is occupying the place now. But again, it wasn't enough for me to stop and investigate. Now this went on for several mornings and I began paying closer attention as I drove toward the warehouse. Most mornings, as I neared, I definitely saw movement, but I could never pinpoint it. Not exactly. Until one morning, about two weeks later, I was absolutely certain of the movement. Not just out of the corner of my eye this time, but clearly and right in front of me, and I immediately became confused. One moment there was movement, the next nothing. The door didn't open, no one came around the front of the building, and no one went around the concrete truck bay. I would have seen that clearly too. I'm not sure what made me stop this time. To this day, I can't figure it out. I stopped my little silver car in the middle of the road, threw it into reverse, and backed up into the gravel parking area next to the warehouse. That early in the morning, I wasn't worried about running into anyone else on the road. I sat in the car for a few minutes, quietly watching the door in my rear and side view mirrors to see if anything would happen. Yes, there, I said aloud to myself. I'd seen movement again by the man door. I exited my car, shoved my keys into my pocket, and turned around to watch the door directly, head on. It didn't take long before I saw something I will never, ever be able to accurately convey. The only way I can accurately explain it is this. The rust lines where the paint had cracked and peeled, seemed to coalesce, melt together, swirl around, then separate again and become still. It was the exact movement I'd seen. But now, as I watched, I was more confused than ever. And more curious than ever. You know the saying, curiosity killed the cat? Well, yeah, I'm that sucker. With little to no difficulty, I ignored the internal alarm blaring in my head, yelling at me to get back on the road or I would be late for work. I ignored the clearly posted no trespassing sign on the front of the building. I ignored the strong flight response which arose in me. I ignored all these things because, to my mind, I could not be seeing what I thought I was seeing, and there had to be a rational explanation for it. I would figure out what was going on. I walked with purpose to the door, fully intent upon opening it and finding out what was going on inside of that warehouse. I reached for the knob. My fingers touched the rusted and dented metal. Suddenly, and not gently, I was sucked through what I can only call a vortex. I thought I must be inside the warehouse. But when I recovered from the head-spinning, nausea-inducing trip, 
I looked around me. To say I was surprised would be the understatement of the century. I was in a forest. Everywhere around me were trees, dark and glistening, with the dappled morning light, the scent of evergreen and moist, rotting vegetation heavy in the air. Looking up, I could barely see the tops of the trees. The girth of the trunks around me was beyond imagination. I'd never seen anything like them before, not even when I went to the Sequoia National Park as a kid. Abruptly, I remembered what had just happened and spun around to find the warehouse door. I needed to leave to get to work, but the door was simply not there. I had absolutely no idea what had happened, how I'd gotten there, or even where there was. I remembered the swirling door, the electric jolt on my fingertips as I touched the knob, and then nothing until I became aware of my surroundings in the forest. I assume it was instant, but was it? I suppose I should have been frightened. I suppose I should have started hollering, trying to figure out if anyone was nearby who could help me understand. But I was not afraid, and the more I thought about what had happened, how I'd been sucked through a vortex to wherever I was, the less I actually remembered. It was fading quickly. I stood exactly where I was, still and silent listening to the sounds around me, quiet breezes rustling the boughs above me, birds twittering and flitting through the trees, insects buzzing, small creatures scuttling on the forest floor. It was so beautiful, and I was overwhelmed by it all. To myself, I thought, if ever I were to choose to live somewhere else, I would live here. That's very good to hear, said a low, gravelly voice. Now I did startle. I looked frantically around me trying to find the source of the voice. My eyes aligned upon a huge tree stump about 15 feet in front of me, and as I watched, a creature simply materialized from the wood. It was about four feet tall, skin which looked to be made of the same wood from which it came, Brown hair, if you could call it that, made from twigs and sticks and other forest debris. Large black eyes, which glittered like beetles, and a mouth full of rows and rows of the sharpest teeth I'd ever seen. Not even the sharks I'd seen on television could rival these chompers. The creature grinned unnaturally at me, and my heart leapt into my throat. This thing... Whatever it was, was a predator. I didn't have to ask questions to know that. It had pieces of skin and sinew, muscle and blood and fur, pieces of fabric and God knows what else between all of its evil teeth. A dark purple and nearly black forked tongue, which appeared every so often, sealed the deal for me. I was absolutely terrified of this thing and I had nowhere to run. What are you? I asked with a tremor in my voice. That is none of your concern, it said. Okay, I answered. How about 
telling me where I am then. I asked as politely as possible. I really did not want to offend it. You're in my home, it said. Great. It was going to be cryptic with me. And where's your home? My home is here, it answered. You're in my home. Yes, well, we've established that, I said. How did I get here? The goddess brought you here, it answered. Oh, okay, just wonderful. Why? I asked. I was not looking forward to the answer. You are here to make things right, it explained. Right, how are things wrong? I asked it. That is none of your concern, it said again. Wonderful. I was to be told nothing. I opened my mouth to ask another question, but I was seized from behind. My mouth was covered by spindly stick-like fingers. My arms were swiftly restrained behind my back, and my legs were put in iron shackles, ankle linked to ankle, with barely six inches in between. How the hell was I supposed to walk? You will not walk, the creature answered my unspoken thought. Sure enough, I was swept off my feet and flung over the hard shoulder of what I can only assume was another tree-like creature, similar to the predator I'd been speaking with. Smells good, Deck, said the one who carried me. You are to transport only bay, said the gravelly voice of the original host. Now I'm over six feet tall. These creatures could not be more than four feet tall. Therefore, my head was quite close to the ground as I was unceremoniously carried away. While I flopped painfully to and fro over this creature's shoulder, I had some time to think, to plan. I was a big guy compared to these things which held me hostage, and they were clearly carnivores. They could speak my language which, for whatever reason, I didn't question. But... Did the fact that they could speak English make them clever? Could I outsmart them in some way? Whatever situation I found myself in when they released me, could I think fast enough to escape? I could find no scenario from which I could plan, not knowing anything about what I was being brought into. Time felt different here. It felt as if I were carried for hours but that could have been due to the discomfort I felt. So when I was tossed into a heap to the ground, I lay there groaning, trying to decide if I was injured in some way other than my pride. I was sore, definitely, but I was not otherwise harmed. And then a voice, sweet, low, soft, and melodic. Deck, Bay, you have done well. Thank you, you're dismissed. Mistress, began one of them, begging your pardon, but would you not feel safer with guarding? Thank you for your concern, Deck, but you and Bay are excused. I'll deal with the stranger my own way. Yes, Mistress, Deck said. From my position on the ground, I could see both Deck and Bay. Oh, how awful they both seemed retreating from mistress in a subservient manner, bowing deeply, looking down at the ground, walking backwards. 
I could see saliva drooling from their teeth, dripping to the ground in long strings. I kept my head turned away from Mistress. I didn't want to see the creature that lovely voice belonged to. I knew I would not be able to reconcile the voice with its owner, and to my mind, only something supremely beautiful could, should, speak with that voice. I expected, no, knew, the voice, therefore, could only belong to another one of those horrible tree creatures. You are quite mistaken, sir, said the beautiful voice, reading my mind. Reluctantly, I lifted my face from the ground and turned to look in that direction from which the voice was coming. I was more surprised at what I saw than when I had been sucked through the vortex into this forest realm to begin with. And there, standing before me, was a radiant, beautiful woman. She was dressed in clothing which seemed to be stitched together from the fabric of the forest itself. Furs, leaves, grasses, sticks, all woven together to create a dress which seemed to rise up from the forest floor to cover her from toes to shoulders. Her hair was as red as any sunset I'd ever seen, and her eyes glittered the deep green of the trees around her. Her skin was the whitest of porcelain. She was absolutely breathtaking. I tried to stand and failed due to my restraints. My head was telling me I was in the presence of a godlike power, and so I felt it was only right and respectful to kneel. Pay homage to this woman. The urge to bow down to her was irresistible. Please, do not struggle. You're in no danger here, she said. I'm Gaia, mother of all creation. Every leaf, tree, creature, and rock you see belong to me. They're of my body. My dryad hunters were right to bring you to me. I need your help, stranger. She snapped her fingers and my restraints instantly fell off. I rose to my knees, bowed my head, and without thinking it through in any way, I responded. I'll help you, whatever it is. Now at the time I meant it, I truly wanted to do whatever I could to help this lady. My own life forgotten, work, morning drives, coffee, daily life, all of it forgotten. I was completely and totally her servant, and she knew it. Yes, I need your help and I am grateful to receive it from you willingly, she said. Please, rise and come with me. I stood, and with eager, almost reverent and worshipful movements, fell into step beside her. I was virtually panting with the want to assist this woman. Being in her presence was more forceful than anything I'd ever felt before. I would quite literally lay down my life for her. In a matter of moments, I'd gone from being concerned about my daily drudgery to willingly following this goddess into the unknown of her forest. I had not one care for anything I'd left behind. She floated along the forest floor, 
Instead of walking, her dress seemed to change as the terrain changed, moving her forward fluidly, propelling her without her having to put one foot on the ground. Meanwhile, I was having to jog to keep up, my ungainly, graceless, hulking body tripping over roots and rocks just to keep up with her. Now, of course, I probably would have fared better had I been watching the ground rather than watching her, but it was impossible. I could not look away. She had me so completely captivated. Was it love at first sight? Love? Yet not love. Worship? They were the same. They were different. Well, I didn't even care. After what felt like an eternity... We finally came to a clearing in the dense forest, a nearly perfect circle surrounded by trees even larger than the ones I'd seen when I'd first arrived here through the vortex. They were incomprehensible, and everywhere I looked, creatures moved here and there, up and down the trees, busy working. High up, higher than I could truthfully see clearly, structures. Homes, buildings, swings, lights, and creatures. I had a vague impression of Ewoks living on the forest moon of Endor, but on a much greater scale. Gaia entered the clearing. All activity stopped, and each creature, every single one, knelt and worshipped her. She smiled in her beautiful and easy way and said, Thank you. You may resume your work. And then, with a wave of her hand, bade me to follow her. And I eagerly complied. On the far side of the clearing, a large and organic structure rose from the forest floor. It, too, was made from sticks, leaves, rocks, and other natural materials. It was to this building we went and entered. Inside, it was dark, very dark, and the structure seemed to be soundproof too, because I could no longer hear the sounds of the forest or the noise from the workers above. I could barely hear her moving around within the same room. It was an odd juxtaposition between what I thought I should hear and what I actually could. Without action by her, a fire burst forth within the hearth. Candles lighted around the room, illuminating the expected continuation of organic decor. Wooden tables and chairs, feathers, soft grasses and pine needles woven together to form a cover for her bed. Small creatures, mice, birds, scurried here and there as if they too were working for her and on urgent errands. They are, she said. Everyone here serves me in some form or another, and so shall you too serve me. What is your name, stranger? I could barely remember. It was some moments hesitation before I was able to say, Blake, my name is Blake. Blake, thank you. Please have a seat. She indicated a long stool on one side of a carved wooden table. Would you like some nettle tea? Ah, uh, uh, sure, I stuttered. I mean, yes, please. I was loath to refuse her anything, 
Even the offer of tea I didn't really want. I couldn't stop watching her. Every move was grace upon itself. She busied herself over the fire, heating water in a huge black iron kettle. She removed a glass jar from the mantle and shook out what I assume were nettles into two rudely carved but oddly striking wooden cups. She added a pinch of this, a pinch of that, and when she was finished, she poured the steaming water over the whole with a practiced flourish. There, she said, seating herself prettily on a stool across from me and sliding a cup in my direction. Please drink. It'll settle your nerves. The tea was hot and it scalded my tongue, but I sat quietly sipping and taking in my surroundings. I felt as if I had fallen into a Hollywood movie. The colors were so fantastic, and the items around me were so absorbing. I was actually startled when she spoke again. I have told you I need your help, Blake, and you had said you are willing to give it. Are you still willing? She asked. Yes, I said, almost dribbling tea down the front of my shirt in my haste to answer her. Good. Tonight you will stay here. And tomorrow, I will tell you how you can help me. Okay, I said stupidly. Now I don't know if it was the tea or her presence, but at that exact moment, I would have done anything for her. She didn't say anything else for the remainder of the day. We sat in what felt like companionable silence for several hours until finally, far after the sun had set beyond the far hills, she arose and again beckoned me to follow. She stooped down and lifted the latch of a door hidden among the floorboards. I would never have noticed it if she had not opened it. No words were exchanged, but with a glance, I knew I was meant to descend behind her as she disappeared into the darkness below. I was absolutely and totally unafraid now. I'd nearly forgotten about my fear of her dryad hunters by this time. My trust in her was so complete, my faith was so immediately installed that everything else, my true life and everyone, everything in it, seemed a hazy, distant dream. Below the floor, the stone stairs were well-worn. A slight curve on each step showed how many times these steps had been traversed. I understood without being told how ancient this passage was, and felt privileged at being allowed in. This place seemed sacred somehow. As we descended further, it became cooler darker and harder to navigate, but never once did I reach out to her for help or complain about not being able to see. I simply trusted her and followed. I could hear her footsteps swift and sure upon the steps, and simply followed the sound. I understood now how the blind could lead the blind. Sound was an underrated sense. Finally, after many minutes, we reached the bottom. She suddenly held the lighted torch in her hand, and I never even bothered to wonder where it came from or how she lighted it. We traversed a long corridor carved entirely out of stone, 
except for the torchlight, it was utterly dark. The walls and floor were wet. Water dripped out of the cracks in the walls from somewhere deep within. I could hear it trickling. I could smell the coolness, the dampness. And by torchlight, I could see small patches of dark mosses and pale lichen growing on the walls. That was truly in a fairy tale world. And suddenly, she stopped. We'd reached the end of the long corridor. A wall of rock stood solidly in front of us, and to our right was a heavy wooden door. The door was as ornately carved as the table in her house far above, and within the door, a small window had been fashioned. Three large iron bars spanned the window top to bottom. You will stay here tonight, she said. I was devastated. I thought I'd be staying with her. The idea of her leaving me alone down here in the dark practically broke my heart. And with a wave of her hand, the iron latch snapped open and the door swung wide to reveal a small room of the same stone walls and floor as the corridor in which we stood. There was a mattress in the corner and a pot in another. And other than those items, the room was totally bare. No windows, no light. And suddenly I was afraid again. Please don't leave me down here, I begged her. Please let me stay upstairs with you. If I had been in my right mind, I would have been appalled at the desperation I heard in my own voice, the childish whine. But you will be perfectly safe here. Above you may not be so. It is far more important that you come to no harm whilst you're with me. Trust me, Blake. Her words provided little relief of my fear, but I acquiesced and entered the dark, dank room. I went over to the mat in the corner and I sat down dutifully, finding it surprisingly comfortable and fresh. It did not smell nor feel as I expected. I will return for you at dawn, she said, and with those words, the door shut tightly and I watched through the barred window as the torchlight faded. Now that night was both terrible and wondrous. As I settled myself onto the mat and covered myself with the blanket I didn't initially realize was there, I lay in the deep silence and tried to make sense of things. But my mind was so muddled. In her presence, I was perfectly at ease perfectly ready to do whatever she asked, no matter the consequences. But outside of her influence, I began to remember things. I began to remember how I arrived here and what I'd left behind. I thought of the creatures who brought me to her and reaffirmed my fear of them. Their glittering, soulless black eyes and their razor-sharp teeth were the stuff of nightmares. And I couldn't get comfortable, though I was on a soft mat with a warm blanket. The chill in the air was also damp, and though I felt neither physically, I was aware of both. I was aware of the scent of wet stone. I could still hear the water trickling somewhere. I heard creatures stirring in corners, both inside and outside the room I occupied, 
and each time I thought I might be slipping off into dreams, I would be startled awake by a sound. I was, however, neither scared nor settled. As I looked around, the walls faintly glowed. I suspected some kind of bioluminescence. I even got up once to run my finger through it, but when my finger came away both dry and clean, I wondered if I might be hallucinating. It was a very long night with little sleep. The dawn brought noises in the corridor outside my room. Heavy, grinding footsteps, which I knew could not be Gaia's. She would not retrieve me at dawn after all. She had seemingly left that task to another. The door to my room opened swiftly, and with a grunt, one of her dryad hunters entered my room. The creature's teeth gleamed in the dim light. You're to come with me, it said. I didn't hesitate, but rose from the mat and followed it, even though my nerves had already begun to jump. These creatures were, unsettling at least, and downright frightening at best. In a hesitant attempt to make conversation, I asked, I'm sorry, are you Deck or Bay? I'm neither, the creature said. I'm Rel. Rel, I repeated. Either these creatures had limited language, or they all had unusual three-letter names. Three-letter names is our custom, it answered, reading my mind. I tried very hard not to think anything else after that. I simply followed Rel through the corridor, kept my mouth shut, and my eyes and ears open. We passed what I thought was the long stairwell into her home, and when I began to question, Rel said, We do not go to the lady now. You will see her at sunrise. Oh. I continued to maintain what I hoped was radio silence in my head until we reached another long flight of stairs going virtually straight up the side of a sheer stone wall. I cannot see the top from our vantage point at the bottom, but with torch in hand, Rel began to climb, and I had no choice but to follow. Stairs were built into the rock face, so one side was nothing but more rock, and the other side, should one slip, was a fall to one's death. I'd never had a particular fear of heights, but this was dizzying, made all the worse by the fact that I could only see a step or two in front of me by torchlight, and Rel's tree-like feet continually moving upward. I tried to stay as close to the wall side of the narrow steps as I could. My heart remained in my throat, until, after what seemed like an eternity, we emerged through a door and stepped out into the large clearing I'd seen the day before. It was pre-dawn. The light, what I could see of it through the tops of the dense trees, was still barely gray overhead. The air smelled sweet and refreshing after the dank underground room and long corridors. Ahead of me, in the center of the clearing, a large structure had been erected overnight, though from where I stood, it was hard to tell what it was exactly. It looked like a large X, dozens of feet tall and 
half as wide. It dwarfed the clearing, even as large as it was, and seemed to fit well with the enormous trees surrounding everything. I couldn't imagine what it was for. Just as the light in the sky began to turn pink above me, I was suddenly and unexpectedly shackled and cuffed again. A hood was shoved roughly over my head so I could no longer see, and with a sharp jab of some kind of instrument, a weapon maybe, I was urged forward toward the large X in the center of the clearing. Once there I began to hear a crowd gathering. There were languages I didn't understand, voices I couldn't fathom, sounds which I'd never heard before plus the clear squawks, squeaks, and skitters of the forest fauna. The hood over my head also hindered my ability to smell, so since I could not see any of it, I relied on my ears to tell me what I wanted to know. After a few moments, an overwhelming silence moved through the crowd, and I knew that she had come into our presence. I was, again, wrapped. Sons and daughters, creatures of earth, earth is of my body and therefore you are of my body. Spring has come again and with it, Beltane. This is our time. We are both weakest and strongest. A sacrifice must be made as happens each year. A sacrifice is given. Our lamb is willing. I was prodded forward again and as I came into view... A murmur ran through those gathered. Fear gripped me tightly as I suddenly understood what role I was supposed to play, and I began to fight against my captors. These dryad hunters, however short of stature they may be, were virtually strength itself, and I was held immobile. The hood, though hiding my face, did nothing to cover my mouth. And so, restrained as I was, my only recourse was to begin yelling. I have no idea what I said. I know I was very clear about not having agreed to be sacrificed. But otherwise, the words flowed without actual thought. Fear drove them from my mouth in an unintelligible jumble. As I fought, as I yelled, I remember I had work to do. I had family. I had a life, and from out of nowhere, however, a gentle hand was placed on my shoulder, and the dryad hunters released me. The hood was removed from my head, and as my eyes adjusted to the brightening morning light, I found that the lady stood directly in front of me, her face mere inches from mine. I could smell her sweet breath. Her beautiful forest green eyes glimmered with amusement and, as she smiled her gentle smile, I was undone again. This goddess, this mistress of the dryad hunters and all the forest denizens, this woman of the woods and of nature and earth incarnate, was my purpose. I would have you renew your promise to me, Blake, she said aloud. Yes, I answered. I didn't know what I was promising, and I didn't understand what I had promised her to begin with. I told her this. She laughed gently. 
Yesterday, when I said I needed your help, you told me you were willing to give it. This is the help I need from you, Blake. I need you, Blake. You are the only one who can sustain us for another year. Her eyes bored holes into mine as she silently pleaded with me to acquiesce. And on some level, I understood she was asking me to agree to allow myself to be sacrificed. On some level, I knew I didn't want to be sacrificed, but I found her absolutely impossible to resist. Yes, I said again. I will help you. Applause broke out throughout the clearing. Pleased, she grinned at me now, showing rows and rows of teeth unseen before by me, exactly like those of her dryad hunters. Her grip on my shoulder tightened. She was strong, stronger than any I'd encountered here, even her hunters. She said aloud, Citizens of the forest, creatures of earth, children of my body, this is your sacrifice. There was more applause. Suddenly, from all across the clearing, torches were lighted, and creatures of all shapes and sizes moved forward toward the large X structure. A rope was hanging from the cross point to the middle of the X, and I was led forward by her, her hand still gripping my shoulder tightly. Two of her dryad hunters came forward and took me from her, upended me so that my feet were in the air and my head was just barely hovering above the ground. The rope was lowered and attached to my feet, securing my ankles together tightly. And then I was hauled up off the ground to hang, fifteen feet in the air. She yelled, Please place your offerings. And one by one, every creature came forward with some kind of offering. I saw shiny things, bits of rock, stacks of leaves tied neatly with twine made from pine needles, baskets of nuts and berries. I saw branches and sticks, feathers, live birds and wicker cages, pieces of meat, and much more. All were placed just beneath me on the ground under the legs of the X, hanging upside down as I was. I only had to tip my head to see it all. The blood rushed to my head and I began to have trouble seeing. My legs went numb. My arms, hanging uselessly toward the ground, were also numb. And I suspected I'd been drugged, but couldn't figure out how. I looked at Gaia, and she seemed simply radiant. As each sacrifice was placed below me, she grew. Her stomach grew. It was both fascinating and horrifying to watch. As I faded, she was growing, rounder and rounder like the earth itself, the mother of earth, the mother of nature. Her face changed over and over again, from the appealing, beautiful, irresistible woman I followed and worshipped for a short and intense 24 hours to the horrible toothy faces of the dryads, to the fur-covered faces of creatures I'd never seen before. And as she changed, she continued to grow larger and larger, so large and possibly large 
and I was horrified. Suddenly, she cried out. She fell to her knees and yelled in a voice not her own. Light the fire. Send up the sacrifice. And the last thing I remember before the flames overtook me was watching her morph back to that beautiful woman form and give birth to a giant ball of moving light. There, in the clearing, in front of witnesses, she bared all to birth another creature into the world. She screamed as it emerged, and I screamed as I was consumed by the flames. I woke up screaming and covered in sweat. The sheets were tangled around my ankles and I was hanging half off the bed, head near the floor. My heart was beating so hard, I suspected it could be heard throughout the entire house. My breathing haggard. Blake. Blake. Honey, wake up. I started flailing, trying to fight off the hands that gripped my shoulders, accidentally striking my wife. She struck back, saying, Wake up, Blake. You're having another nightmare. It was then that I realized I was still in my room. I'd never been in a forest. I'd never met that beautiful, radiant lady. I'd never been sacrificed. It took a while for me to calm down, but when I was finally able to settle, I told my wife about the dream. She laughed and said, You mean to tell me you had an affair with Mother Earth? Oh, well, I mean, not exactly, I said, though she was right. When I said it aloud, it did sound absolutely ridiculous. Later that morning, as I was on my way to work, I was thinking about the dream. Though it was fading quickly, the feelings of both supreme love and absolute terror stayed with me. I was edgy. I knew I had a lot of work to do that day, and I tried to convince myself to focus. I was unnaturally distracted as I drove by the warehouse, but nevertheless, I still saw movement by the main door of that faded beige warehouse. I immediately threw the car into reverse, and from that day on, I went another way to work. <laughs>